we're good. We're gonna, we're good. We got like 15 more minutes. Okay. So I'm still here. This is part two with Joyce. So we're talking about um, the basically the art of aging well and the habits of healthy and meditation and breathing and, and consciousness. And movement. And movement too. So when you, what do you think at this point um, because you're around some of the you know people in the more advanced years, what is what do we need to do more of as a society to make things better for them? I mean, is it is it just financial resources? Because people will say, well, we don't have the financial resources. Why is it so darn expensive? I mean, what are we going to do with people that can't afford it? What are we going to do with because you know? And th- I mean, if you look, we're we're worried. Like right now, we have we do have an epidemic. A growing epidemic of dementia and Alzheimer's and all and people a lot of people think that like that alone that that's inevitable right and so what are we going to do what are we going to do as a society with all these people that are like their brains not work you know they have Alzheimer's they have they have dementia and and now but they're still alive and maybe they're gonna live another 10 years like that and you think well what's the financial burden on their children if they have children what's the financial burden how is the state or the or the government going to handle that and and it and 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 like someone like me thinks it's not even inevitable like people have the power in what they're choosing to ingest or hydration or nutrition or or exercise yeah to not have that happen but a lot of people just think i mean most people that i know just think it's like ah you get older it just happens, it's genetics, it's whatever, and it just happens. So I really don't want to be 80, Frank, because I don't... We know it's not genetics now, thanks to Bruce Lipton. Yeah. And uh, epigenetics. Um, yeah. So you're here to tell us it's not a foregone conclusion that as far as Alzheimer's and dementia, like, hey, take care of yourself, you have a very, probably a very high chance that, that something like that doesn't happen to you. I mean, is that your I stance? Don't, I don't know. Um, I haven't thought about it quite that way. I'm not trying to avoid. Yeah. I'm trying to have the best possible right now. Mm-hmm. And now there's science talking about this means that you're less likely to have something like dementia. Mm-hmm. Um, I also know how the, the results in my body of using my mind intentionally and using imagery, which is a big part of my meditation varies from time to like to a mental movie and things like that or no yeah more or less um kind of a guided imagery um even preparing for surgery using guided imagery so mm-hmm. that you can learn to stop blood from going to the incision site and the body will reserve it mm-hmm. for healing i mean amazing things um but i'm not doing it to the best of my conscious awareness, I'm not doing it to avoid anything. I don't know about the big questions, how society is going to deal with it. I don't know in my own family how my children, my adult children, will deal with it if, um, like, I'm a low-income person. Mm-hmm. Well, what will happen? I don't know. Mm-hmm. But I have confidence in myself and in my, I think you use the word goodwill or... Um, in the goodwill of people, um, I can't live afraid. So I do what I know, which is energetically extend the love that I feel. Receive isn't the right word that I. So I used to see love as coming into my or 
God's love or energy coming into my head and bathing my body. I don't see that anymore. I know that it's in me. So, um, and that it's stored in the lower Dantian and I move it up to my heart. And then I, ex and I wait and I fill my whole body with this beautiful light, love. And then I extend it and I extend it outside myself, outside my room, outside my apartment, to the top floor, to the bottom floor, ex uh, however long I want it. I mean, I extend it to people who are doing bad things. Um, what it does, I can't say. Um, does it make, I know it makes a difference, but how a society changes, and there's a lot of people like me who are doing similar things. So um, Maharishi, did some experiments of uh, TM meditators meditating uh, in the Capitol and Washington D.C. and then the crime rate went down. I mean, I don't I don't know those big questions. I used to have those big questions and I used to think about them, but what seems to work for me is bring it back to me and keep it small. Um, I find it very upsetting if it gets big where I have no involvement and no capacity to do anything. Um, we used to demonstrate, we could, you know, but now it's a pro I don't know how to exactly talk about it. Um, it's partly being it, and I know that's transformational for others. Yeah, you were saying that the, the most, you said this to me when we first met, and, and I agree with you, I, I, this was a revelation that came to me um, only in the last couple of years, I, I'll, I'll say. So I, I remember I was I was uh, watching a guy speak one time. This this was last year, and I was like, this guy is such a boring speaker. Like he's just a real. I mean, and there's many. I mean, many, many, many. I would say just me. I'm being a little bit of a snob, but I think the majority <laughs> of speakers like they're boring. And I'm like, ugh, this is boring. But I sat there and I was watching him and he spoke for about 20 minutes and, and as he went longer, this revelation happened. I thought, you know what, Frank? He might be a not so exciting speaker. But guess what? The guy is, by all accounts, I think, I feel confident, my intuition, everything, this guy's a good, he loves his family, he's great to his family, he's a good provider, he's responsible, he's a good person, he is the example. He's not the person maybe to talk about and teach these principles to everybody yeah. or to teach them to a room of a thousand people. At this point, he's probably not that person. But he is the example of a lot of those principles. He's a shining example of a lot of them. And you, so basically, I, I, I had this appreciation for him, which is that he's, he's not necessarily at this point on that, this great teacher in my mind. Yeah. But he is the example. He is the exemplary. He is embodiment. And as you said to me, and it, it wrong, true. He's like, well, it's not always about what you know. Right. It's about your presence right. around people. Yeah. Yeah, that that's probably the most important thing to me is how I be. Um, and it's not something that I can predict, but I can have intentions. Mm -hmm. So I want to. I wanted to enjoy this conversation. I wanted to feel comfortable. I wanted to feel safe. I wanted to be thoughtful. I wanted to listen well. Those are all the, the intention things that I wrote down and to enjoy being with you. So before I go to bed, like I'll think about the things of the day before I go to sleep. 
and think about what was satisfying about this day and this is it. So how I be me. And it starts with that intention though, like you said, you yeah. say even when you wake up in the first half hour, it starts with the intentions. Yeah. And the intent it's like it's like you say biblically you know, you will know them by their fruit. The fruit seldom falls far from the tree. You will right. know the great things, the lightful things, the loving things yeah. by their fruit. And you will know the intention. You will, you will know the person's intentions a lot of time just by the things they're doing. Like, you know, but it really does start, the intention is really the first mover. It's yeah. a conscious intention. Of, yeah. You know, somebody can accidentally be great, you know, a certain day, but when you wake up every day yeah. with certain things as an intention, I don't know because I think there's something else. When you finally just be it, you just be love, then there isn't the practice maybe. I don't know. Yeah, you're saying you transcend the intention where you become it and it becomes effortless and right. you sort of flow into right. it and it's not, there's not, you don't need to consciously. Yeah. yeah. There's, um, you do need to consciously, and I would say people, I think you need to consciously intend when the foundational programming maybe wasn't what you wanted like you said if you had yeah. a rough childhood or you had yeah. whatever then you kind of have to spend a lot more energy on the oh, you do. conscious intention of reversing that's sort of the answer but if the programming was phenomenal let's just say it had been phenomenal <laughs> and you and you really bit it okay like that's phenomenal you might get into an autopilot of these incredible things without having to wake up with the intentionality every day at the, at the forefront of your mind. Well, I think for everybody it's possible regardless. Um, the Buddha said there's an end of suffering. There's suffering, and I'll teach you the end of suffering. Mm. And for me that's involved a lot of forgiveness work. And I'm talking daily forgiveness. Um, I forgive myself for the judgments I, I have on myself. I don't judge other people so much. I have to, and then I write it down. Um, I, so that's that's huge for me. And um, when you were saying that, there's a, I don't know if it's actually a book. Yeah, the Ten Zen Ox, o the Ox Herding Pictures. Um, and who wrote the one I like? It's in a book called Coming Home. I can't remember his name. The, the Zen Oxfording pictures are a classic Zen teaching tool. And it takes you through all, all of what we're talking about, essentially. And then when you become, when you get into the 10th picture, what you see is um, the little Buddha kind of guy riding the ox. And, no, I think he might be walking. But anyway, flowers break into bloom as he walks by. He's not making them break into bloom. They just break into bloom. Um, so he has become it. And there's no separation between him and the ox or him and the bloom. And um, I believe that's possible. Now, two final things as, as we wind down here. This is Frank Forza with uh, Joyce Gibson. Uh, who is an, a longtime energy healer and uh, mentor. She does a lot of mentoring. Um, first of all, how do they find you? You, you're, um, you want me to give you your phone number, jo Joyce, or no? Do you want to just give your, your email here? Yeah, just give the email. Yeah, so Joyce's email, if you wanted to reach her, it is radiant, R-A-D-I-A-N-T, radiant, conventional spelling, radiant heart healing arts 
at gmail.com. RadiantHeartHealingArts at gmail.com. Of course, mine's Frankie, F-R-A-N-K-I-E, at FrankieForza.com. The final thing I wanted to, you know, in these last couple minutes, because it's, it's so important, you talked about, we see a lot of people in their advanced years and their retirement years, and they're living in assisted living homes or they're living in communities with other um, seniors or in, in the advanced years of their life. And you talk about that, that loneliness. Is that, is that what you see as sort of the big, the biggest fear, the 800 pound gorilla in the room? Is, is it that, or is it, I mean, is it? No, I think it's fear of death. Fear of death. And what, how do you make peace with that how do you how do you make a peace with that with you know how would you advise your as a mentor too and someone who's been here 77 years how do you make peace because i was i was at a funeral um last week the guy was he was 70 he was almost 77 he had been in a wheelchair and and i kept hearing the word death and i thought of the word death in the same vein as let's say faith. I just thought, you know, faith is so important. And, and I thought faith and death are such similar, structurally, they're such mm. similar words and they're powerful words. And of course people say, you know, death gives meaning to life and whatever. And, and I thought death is so huge for faith because our relationship with death, our mindset, our attitude toward death says a lot about our faith. In other words, if someone had a weak faith, right, whatever their faith is in God, whatever that is, the source, the infinite, whatever that is, says a lot about their If somebody, somebody of great faith, like a Christ or a Buddha or someone might say, or even Gandhi or Martin Luther King, Martin Luther King Jr. said, I won't see 40, he knew it. Right? It's like, this guy is like of such great faith in the mission, in God, in, in whatever, that his relationship with death is, look, I know the trade, I know the exchange that's going to be made. We will make that exchange. I'm okay with that. I've made peace with it. He says this in multiple speeches. And it's interesting that that, to me, and as I was thinking at this guy's uh, funeral ceremony, gosh, he has family members that are sitting there. And he had probably 50 family members and then 100 friends. And all these people are of different spectrums along faith. Some of them, his wife was like really... God believing and of great faith and believing, hey, the, he goes to a great place after this and will be reunited. She's thinking that. And then there's kids. Some of them are thinking perhaps, well, man, this is it. This is the end of the road. We're never seeing dad again. That's the end of the road. And every kind of thought, belief in people, different spectrums of faith, different attitude toward death, different levels of faith as to what did he, where did he just go? Where's he going? Mm-hmm. Right? And so I sort of always, always thought of sort of death right now in my years as like, it's almost a referendum on faith. As our attitude toward death says a lot about our faith in that something greater, whether we call it God or Yahweh or Jehovah or the source or the infinite intelligence or whatever, the force, whatever people want to call it. And that's sort of what I saw, but I'm more interested in what you see because you're, you're there, you're in the thick of people thinking about that a lot. And I'm ever closer to it. Yeah, and how do you, how do you, well, we don't know. Well, Kobe Bryant, just 41, we don't know. I mean, that's the strange no, I mean, thing of life. We don't know. I'm driving home. We don't right. know. No, we don't know. But 
but maybe we know that perhaps you in your setting in this season of your life maybe have thought or contemplated it more and Absolutely. and maybe yeah. seen more of it in other words you may have been to more funerals than someone my age in general and so you've sort of faced it or pondered it or contemplated it and what what is that relationship like with death and what where are you in terms of making peace with that really good question well like what i've learned about life since having heavy mental toxicity the first big thing i learned healing from that was that i needed to befriend my body because until then i thought my body was out to get me it caused me pain it caused me i was not my friend now I'm interested in death and dying. I'm really interested in it. Um, I think I have something to contribute um, to others in talking about it and being willing to talk about it and to explore it and to befriend it. And one of the ways I'm doing this, so I'm looking into, I don't think I'm going to do this, but I've been looking into being a um, death and dying doula, mm-hmm. like a birth doula, mm-hmm. only for death and dying. Um, many years ago, I wrote out, um, it's called uh, Five Wishes, which is a different kind of living will. Like what kind of music I want, if I can't make decisions for myself, do I want a cloth on my head, do I, you know. Um, my relationship, I, I don't have faith like belief. I just know what I know from within. And so because I'm guided from within, um, my desire is to have a conscious death. Don't know if that's possible, but that's what I'd like. And I'd like to be conscious right up into that last breath, whenever that is. Um, I want to learn more. Well, what do I want? Um, The Conscious Dying Institute is one of the places where I've looked online. Um, talking with my adult children about my wishes again because we haven't done this for a number of years Um, revisiting what my thoughts are about do I want hydration what do I want about hydration as you get into the dying process I see so you say someone someone who might okay yeah like an IV and so forth right um, sort of, you mean attempts to try to, you know, to just, 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 do you want the process to play out naturally or do you want I medical want invention? Yeah. That would be me. I mean, I, I like the yeah. natural life. As opposed to naturally, just artificially trying to keep, prop someone up and keep them there for right. longer. Um, but there's a piece that I want to rethink, which has to do with my daughter lives far away. Mm. And so maybe do I want to be kept alive until she could get here? I, I don't see. know. I yeah. have to think about that yeah. and I'd like to talk to her about that. Yeah. So talking about it, I mean, it's the same thing with natural childbirth. I didn't have a clue, not a clue, and I'd already had children. But they didn't teach us stuff in the 60s. You didn't know. But in the 70s, when I had my last child, I talked to people who knew. Not a lot of people were available at that time, and not very many doctors would deal with it at that. Seriously, they really wouldn't. Um, Then you had to find a hospital that would take you. Um, so I, I feel this more and more. I'd like to talk about it more. And they have things called death cafes. Um, it seems a little bit, maybe not me. 
Um, they don't have an agenda, but I, they, I don't think they do. And they, and they do what? They the, talk about death. So they, you sort of can write the script of how you want it, how you, all of these different moving pieces from uh, your casket to... Well, that's how, a, a discussion group. You know, to, to... Okay, I see. Uh, but yeah, I... Okay. Um, and how much... Just people of a certain age or, just getting together, just talking about I think anybody can. Yeah. And I don't know where they are. It's not something that's called to I me see. to speak. Yeah. But I like talking about it. I like talking with my nurse practitioner about it. Shout the hell out of her. Oh my, well, you know, what's, what's interesting is, and, and it's so interesting for me as an artist, and I know you're an artist too, I yeah. look around, I see all the piano books, and you yeah. get, yeah, piano, you know, and you have the piano the behind me, and, and so you, I, I, I can see some of your artist uh, imprint, and what's interesting is as an artist, as a writer, and even if you're gonna write, if you're gonna write something, anything from a news story to a magazine story to a book, to giving a speech, to designing a life or designing a day, and it's it really it, it's very simple. It's begin with the end in mind, right? What do we want the end to look like? Yeah. If you're gonna write a book or a movie, yeah. you're make, writing a movie script. What do you want? What do we want? What if they only remember one thing? What would we want them to remember? Begin with the end in mind. Oh, that's and, great. Yeah, and it and it's very, it's. It's almost like really, truly for a lot of, you know, it's like why Viktor Frankl, the great, mm -hmm. you know, um, uh, basically psychotherapist, why he was so phenomenal. Mm -hmm. he, you know, he was in, unfortunately, he was in the, the, those concentration camps in Auschwitz. Yeah. He was on the front lines of like the most horrible thing. But in that, in that environment, right. there was revelation. Right. He, it was, was like, oh my gosh. Yes. Except yeah. with his mind. But and so there, it's it's like. There is some secret. In that, a lot of us are scared to face it. We're scared to 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 think about it. Um, you know, it's really the forefront of the national consciousness right now with the Kobe Bryant helicopter tragedy, which is so horrible, and him and, and eight others. But, it just said it does say a lot about it's a it's a crystal ball to a lot of us about our views on a lot of things. How do we get here, our own identity, which is like, okay, how do we look upon death? And what's our relationship like with that? And what, how would we want it if we, if we had, if it wasn't just a sudden thing, you know, like if it just happened naturally or whatever, how do we, what do we, what, what goes into that? And, and it's just a very, it's a discussion for another day, but yeah, it, it's, but befriending it, it is, yeah. I mean, you're in the right direction and it's certainly age specific to how old I am, it may not be yeah. to you yet, but after... I've thought a lot, of, as a philosopher, I've thought a lot about yeah. it, actually. And after, that might be one of the gifts that Kobe, Kobe's death gives um, to other thoughtful people, is what does this mean to me in terms of the unknown and the uncertainty of my life? How will I be with my estranged cousin or whomever yeah. um, because I think this is a gift that Kobe and his daughter and the other people have given to a society that doesn't know how to grieve and doesn't know how to maybe face face death is how do, how do I deal with it? What can I learn from his and the way he left? What can I learn and bring into my life? It may, it did, it's making me think and about 
repairing some relationships, or at least, at the very least, saying to people, I love you. Just saying it out loud. Like there's a period after each word so you don't rush over it, I love you. Oh yeah, I love you too. I love you. And I'm saying that to you. It's so interesting because with the Kobe Bryant thing, I was reading something yesterday, and of course I'm a former journalist, and I used to cover, I've covered helicopter crashes in the Grand Canyon where nine people died. And so, you know, an NTSB come, you know, comes in and, and you're, you know, it takes them a year to figure out what happened, and they're looking for black boxes. And one of the things that was so powerful reading was, you know, they were en route that's what makes it even more heartbreaking. The guy is spending time with his daughter, right? He spends family time, father, daughter, and the others on there too, right? They all, all of them have family and somebody who loves them, and they're all like in community, and and it's it's good. They're they're heading to a to a gymnasium filled with parents and coaches and teenagers that are going to play in a basketball tournament, right? Just sportsmanship and self improvement, and they're heading. They're flying there from Newport to to this you know Los Angeles area gym and once that plane goes down word of it spreads to the gymnasium where everybody else all these parents are in there all these coaches all these kids and this is Kobe Bryant's basketball academy they're going to have a tournament there that morning and everybody gets word the plane went down Kobe didn't make it his daughter Gianna didn't make it the other coaches and parents, they didn't make it. And another teenage player on there didn't make it. The pilot did. Nobody made it. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And they said, what would Kobe, to your point, the foresight of what would Kobe have wanted us to do? They knew unequivocally and absolutely, without any doubt, he would have wanted them to play. And that's extraordinary because we know that in the way we would conventionally look at it, we would say, how rude. Mm-hmm. How rude that they they asked these kids to play the game. They just got word. People are in tears. Mm-hmm, yeah. And we're telling them, Kobe Bryant, the great, the one who practiced more than anybody else did, the one who wanted to win more than anyone else, the one who stayed longer, the one he wouldn't have missed a game. Even if he loved somebody he loved, he would have played the game. That's what he would have wanted. And they played the tournament. They played the games. And it's weird. It's almost like a will. It's like, it's a will without being a will. They knew him well enough. People had known him there. There are people who knew him 20 years in there, in that building. And they said, no, we, will, we play. It's hard to play, but Kobe would have played. And they played the game. And that... When you look at even like the wishes, it's not always what our wishes are when we think of like what would what would we want? You know, me, the organic tank with my views, that was what I want. It's respecting and honoring someone else might want something else. And I say, it's not my way, but that's really what they wanted. And to honor and respect their path, their journey, their desires, which can be hard. You talk about families and leave someone behind. It's like what would mom have wanted what would dad have wanted what would a spouse have wanted and that people were wrestle with that but i really i saw that in that moment in reading that because i thought wow the word when the word got to them they were heartbroken they were devastated 
and people are probably like, these people are crazy. They played the tournament. You, you're just so sacrilegious. Like that is so mean. But it's re- it's all relative to the intention, to the, to the ethos and the essence of, who you're there. It's like, no, he 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 would have played. He would have wanted you to play, and they knew that. And it's weird. They knew him that well to know. There's no doubt in our mind. That's what you know. What he wanted, and that was in a way. That was a way hard. Imagine how hard. That's so hard to play. Like you want me to play? It's so hard. But it's like, that's like that is a way of honoring him. Like that's a way of honoring him. Like okay, let's honor him. That's what he would have wanted. We're honoring him. You know. So in any event, lot to Joyce Gibson. This has been, <laughs> this has been a fantastic discussion. Yes. Fantastic from a random. Look at that. Do you see somebody eating salmon and they're eating? They got. They have 20 ounces of salmon in front of you and they weigh 100 pounds. I, I say go talk to them, go strike up a conversation, shoot a podcast, and next thing you know, you'll solve all the world's problems. But Joyce Gibson, thank you again so much. It's been a wonderful discussion. Maybe we'll, we'll do it again. I, I learned a lot. I enjoyed it. This is Frank Forza. Again, Joyce, if you want to reach her, um, she's energy healer. She's been down this a long road with the intentions and the healthy living and the the meditation is still going strong. Radiant Heart Healing Arts at gmail.com. I'm Frank Forza. Till next time. Thank you so much. So, hi everyone. Frank Forza. And today I'm happy to have a very interesting guest with me. Her name is Joyce Gibson. And I met Joyce what seemed like randomly <laughs> a couple weeks ago at Whole Foods. Of course, Probably it was more serendipity than just randomness. <laughs> she was eating some some salmon, and that became a, a conversation starter. We'll get into that later. But Joyce is an energy healer. She's been in the energy healing space for longer than it's been popular. A lot of things are popular now. They're not. They're not new. There have actually been people who've been doing this stuff. And, <laughs> And deep into the meditation and the energy healing and the herbs and the and the Ayurvedic and the holistic and the functional medicine, there have been people that have been in that space a long time and they've had the intentions. And I think that I just sort of instantly recognized as somebody who uh, has been doing my best to be to sort of awaken, to become more conscious, to 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 eat healthier. And to sort of try to master the art of, of living and living well and aging gracefully, I could instantly recognize when I, when I met Joyce that, that she's, been, uh, she's been at this for a while, longer than me, longer than most. It turns out, I think she's going to, we'll start diving in here soon, but it turns out, I think, I think it's the 60s or early 70s. You've been at it. You've been on this. So I've always, Joyce and I were talking before we started this recording about and she expressed the same. We both have had this propensity or this fondness for people that were older than us. We've always gotten along uh, well and had sort of a reverence and had some great relationships with people that were 30, 40 years older than us. And for me, I think it's because it's it's definitely not competitive. I'm so ultra competitive. But, um, you know, I just love the chance to get to sit down with somebody who's been uh, really conscious and mindful and trying to figure out aging well because Joyce you know I think we talked about this a little bit before but a lot of people think 75 is old nowadays and I don't I don't think you do 
And so that's really what we're going to talk about here today. I hope you'll join Joyce and I for the next hour or so as we go through this. So Joyce, thank you so much for making time to to talk with me. And so we're drinking, Joyce gave us, we got some parsley tea. Now why parsley? parsley. Why parsley? Because it's gone bad and I wanted to use it up. I couldn't put it in the salad. So I just made tea out of it. And I think it's got it's got the chlorophyll, right? It's got some chlorophyll. In I know it's got. Oh, it has chlorophyll. Yeah, absolutely. It's got some pretty good chlorophyll. Yeah, and it has lots of healing benefits, but I like the taste of it. Mmm. It's really fresh. It actually is better. I've never had parsley tea, but yeah. it does taste better than real parsley. Yeah. And I do take chlorophyll. I take liquid chlorophyll. Yeah. Yeah. And that the liquid chlorophyll, a friend of mine was telling me, that it's actually more because I was thinking wheat like wheatgrass is just this. All awesome chlorophyll. And for those listening, I mean, chlorophyll is said to be just phenomenal um, for us. But but my friend was telling me that liquid chlorophyll is even more powerful than, than wheatgrass. I find that hard to believe, yeah, but wh- where I, are you on that? I couldn't stomach wheatgrass. I just couldn't bear the smell. I wasn't going to get over it. I didn't want to try it. Um, but I'm very experimental. And mm-hmm. um, so liquid chlorophyll goes back to... Maybe I've been taking that since the seventies, maybe. Mm. And um, and that's, that's re- like renowned it. as sort of a detoxifier, and among other things. And you, what are you? What benefits are you looking to get when you take I chlorophyll? I thought it was good for the blood. Okay. And it is supposed to be the blood. Of the, it's the blood of a plant, which right. is interesting, right? It's the blood right. of a plant, which is good to clear and cleanse. And this is when I didn't know a lot. We didn't. I mean, in the sixties, obviously, getting information, you went to the library mm-hmm. and got books. So. If, I just started using my intuition, which I didn't understand. Mm-hmm. But just like you were saying about when we met, that that wasn't, I don't believe there's such a thing as chance. Mm-hmm. There's something else that's operating. And um, I thought it was lovely when we met. And it made my day. Um, talking with you, we had so much in common. And, and you could tell people the story. This This happens a lot, but... So Joyce was sitting, I was sitting at Whole Foods and I was doing some writing and some eating. And so sitting at a table, maybe three feet away was you and you probably sat there 20, 30 minutes, 20, 25 minutes. And I didn't say anything and you were doing your thing. And then finally, you can take it there. That was so funny. Yeah. Um, So I should back up a second. Sure. So I'm a fish eating vegan. Okay. uh, Pescatarian. Pescatarian, yeah. And, um, and I don't eat fish very often, mm-hmm. but I have gone especially to Whole Foods because I pretty much trust their wild salmon. Wild-caught salmon, yeah. And um, so I got quite a bit because I was going to take some home. So I was eating cooked salmon, and there must have been at least three-quarters of a pound on the plate. Mm-hmm. And you came That's a lot of salmon. Me. This is what I remember. You came up to me and said... Are you going to eat all that salmon? <laughs> and I think I said, or you said, um, no, I'm going to eat 3.5 ounces. Right, right. And then we were off and running because that told you something. Yeah, it's interesting. My So curiosity struck. I saw her with the salmon, and I saw a lot of salmon. I just had an amount, and I was like, I'm a big eater and overeater by nature. But I'm like, okay. She's like, you know, 100 pounds. How is she going to eat? And you looked like you were going to sit there for a while. And I'm like, is she? Is this like an eating competition? Is she going to attempt to eat all this salmon? That's in the and so, yeah, I wanted to get... And you, you looked like, you know, you had a presence about you. You had a, uh, a light about you. And so I just thought, well, maybe this yeah. is an opportunity 
to get to pick her brain about what, you know, um, because again, I, I'm into the art of longevity and aging well, and I don't, uh, I don't buy into all this, oh, we have to get older, we have to have Alzheimer's, we have to have dementia, life has to suck, and we have to be in pain. I don't buy into that. And you just seemed like someone who was trying to figure that out, who was, who was very health conscious and mindful. And I just intuitively yeah. sort of recognized that in you. And that was really that. So that salmon was just a conversation <laughs> I know, starter. It's kind of amazing since I never go there rarely. I mean, three times a year because salmon's mm-hmm. expensive. And, um, yeah, I bought a lot of salmon. There you, you had a stockpile, like a war chest. And they're like, you know that salmon? What's going on with that? And as it turns out, I know Joyce's son, and he and I talk regularly and I have outstanding conversation with him. So it's interesting. There's something in your – maybe we're related going back like, uh, you know, a thousand years or something. Our, our plot I lines. think we're all related actually. Yeah. And um, we are all related because there's there's only one whole. Um, so to start smaller. So my – this comes from an experience. I'm not talking mm-hmm. about from books. Mm-hmm. Um, even better, even better. <laughs> lived it versus reading it. I love that. I like reading, but yeah. um, usually to give me ideas or I don't know. Anyway, yeah. um, so just the liver. The liver is made up of cells, and all those cells are conscious. Each cell is conscious, and it's made a conscious choice to be a liver cell. And they live in community, and they listen to us. Mm-hmm. They listen to our thoughts. So then, if we make that bigger, the whole body is a community of cells who are consciously in community. And then if we make that bigger, and we take it all the way out, there's only one community and of everything. Mm-hmm. And if we recognize each other, there's something in us. We, we can say intuition or serendipity or synchronicity, or we can put words on it, but there's something that recognizes, you know, the word namaste. Mm-hmm. The, that in me recognizes that in you. Yeah. And as I've moved along my spiritual path, what I've come to find out is that that's true with everybody, even people I don't like um, politically, which I'm not going to talk about. Mm-hmm. But um, it doesn't matter that there's something in each of us that we can recognize in the other. and. Just kind of to make it easier, mm-hmm. it's when it was like at Whole Foods, that was a, just a delight. Yeah. Absolutely a delight. Some oneness is easier to recognize in some people yes. than in others where it might be more it's uh, like, more tension, more, more, more too much polar like, opposites. Yeah, and, it, it's too triggering. Yeah. So little by little by little, the forgiveness and the healing and, the, and then... It's like, oh my God. Now, most people, I don't want to wait to get to the good stuff because no, it's okay. a lot of podcasts and video interviews and conversations. People wait. No, the good stuff is at the end. You know, there's just some I must do. Oh, I want to get to the good stuff. It doesn't get good it? until Let's you get 45 minutes. But what, what's been, you, you've been experimenting with this for quite a while. What are the habits of healthy for you personally that have worked the best? What are just some of the habits that have worked? phenomenal about anything no particularly yeah, lifestyle but in terms of food in terms of hydration in terms of meditation and movement and exercise what have been really the staples of your healthy living 
Once I learned how to breathe with Lama's childbirth, mm -hmm. that's when I learned how to breathe. And it was very effective. And once I learned how to breathe, I started taking it with me into situations where I was very anxious and it kept working. And then, so it all started with breathing. And once I learned to breathe and see the difference it made, I kept breathing. Sometimes it would take two hours. I didn't mm -hmm. call it meditation. I didn't want it. That was too scary for me. Mm -hmm. So, so breathing. Um, the thing with meditation, really quick, is that meditation, the one, there's always a pro and con to everything. The pro of meditation is like, oh my gosh, we're waking people up to the power of meditation and you can meditate and you can breathe your way through things and you can visualize things. The downside is meditation makes it sound like something that's like, hey, reserve an hour of your day for this as opposed to an right. all day long having it there at it's it's at your command all throughout yes. the day anywhere anytime and whereas when we think of meditation the conventional notion of it is oh it's like going to a yoga class or going to work out right. there's one hour there or whatever make sure you stop everything and you meditate when the reality is i mean when you really get into meditation you could you could be driving you could be you could be anything and you could be having a baby and <laughs> meditating that's true possibly i don't know i mean, women are going to hate yeah. That's what it was. So it was about being present. And I found I had an hour bus ride to work and home from work. So that when I first started, that's how I mm -hmm. practiced. Then I realized I wanted to be conscious. And I wanted to be conscious more and more. And so that, speaking to what you just said, that meant at the law office where I worked, I had to find a way to do it. Mm -hmm. And I found out you could go to the women's room <laughs> and breathe. Mm -hmm. and shift. So your breathing was more audible, so you did need for that Lamaze breathing when you first learned how to do it. It would be more a louder breathing. It wouldn't just be a quiet one you could no, do anywhere, anytime. quiet in the bathroom. Okay. Um, but I mean, if you did that breathing anywhere oh, else, it might make a scene or you might draw yeah, no, stairs. Yeah, I wasn't trying to get yeah. attention on me. So then yeah. I learned how to breathe quietly. I see. And I explored all different kinds. So there's breathing, and, and that's how I start. Mm -hmm. Um... So now, in terms of your diet, what have you, what foods do you eat, and why are you eating? Why do you eat I those can, foods? I changed as I went. Mm -hmm. I ate a pretty much American diet. Um, I think I mentioned to you, Diet for a Small Planet was the first thing that I read. Was a doc? Was a documentary or book? No, that was a book. Okay. Um, diet for a Small Planet. It was about the political aspects of meat. Why did you just happen upon that book, or? Well. In 1969-68, there was this thing that was happening. And whether it was from the Summer of Love, or we were hippies, or um, but there was this thing that galvanized people. And you, you just knew somehow, like I was in L.A. for the Summer of Love. How did I know? Um, you went to the bookstore, and there were books. It's not because you heard it on... Tell, nobody talked about it. Mm -hmm. Bookstores were a thing. Bookstores were a thing. There weren't coffee shops. You went to bookstores. Yeah. Um, and there was this book, Diet for a Small Planet. And, and that's where the interesting people went then, to bookstores. You'd find them in bookstores. Right. Oh, yeah. That's right. And um, there, there were some. Were there any? I can't remember if there were or not. But something was happening, and something was coalescing. And so you, gal you were galvanized. And so Diet for a Small Planet um, was why not to eat meat based on what it's costing the planet. That's 1970-ish. Mm. 
So we started playing with not eating meat. And um, so that was easy. Not then, primarily for the health benefits, but no. for, the, for the save the planet. Yeah, for the save the planet. They've been talking about save the planet. This is not just a new thing about saving the planet. This has been going on. There's been other generations, I guess, that wanted to save the planet, too. There we were. Um, Then there was Sugar Blues, which told me I did not know I was addicted to sugar, except that there was times when I would come downstairs in the middle of the night to eat the chocolate cake and the Pepsi that we had in our house. Because Mm -hmm. it's how, I mean, really... Then we had... So that, that you became conscious and decided, consciously decided, oh, hey, I'm, I'm not going to eat all these desserts and sweets I and wouldn't eat soda pop. I would no and... sugar. That okay. was it. Once I read that book, it was over. Okay. Then there were books Look like... at your faith in that. I mean, it's interesting how a lot of people would read it and, okay, I'm a little more aware of it, but you just put your no, faith... You, you, you read these books and you put a lot of faith behind it, I too. I knew there was something right about it. Um, and I don't know if it had all the science. I think it... Right. People ate 40 pounds a year or something. Now I it's just hundred and like 130, 150 or so. And I sugar felt like crap. Yeah. I felt like crap. It just made sense to you. Like, oh my gosh. Yeah. It had, if, if it makes sense to me, that's good. If it yeah. doesn't make sense, I'm not going there. Right. I'm not trying to understand it in a way that makes right. sense. My right. gut... Literally, but I'm, I didn't I'm with you. I, people with paralysis by analysis, and it'll take them 20 years to ever finally conclude yeah. something. It's very to... gratifying now uh, in 2020 to have so much science that affirms the choices I made a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that is very satisfying. Yep. So sugar blues, then there was um, there was a bunch of books at that time. So hippies had gone into entrepreneurial things. Um, what have been some of your, I mean, you've got, I think you've got some herbs, you've got, got the oils, <laughs> you've got, you know, you've got some little kind of the, the Buddhist kind of statues and, yeah. and, uh, yeah. What have been some of the herbs and the oils that you are most fond of? And now? Yeah. Well, I'm reading a fantastic book, which is reaffirming even more. So I'm in it in a period of change because the amount of health I have and, and Joyce is 77 by the way right. she's not this is not old she's, she's 77 for those listening no, and she's I, got all her mental faculties she's smart <laughs> she's vibrant but you're reading um, a book now you're still changing you're still evolving oh what? absolutely because there's more health available to me mm-hmm. um, so right now I use coconut oil and I use it topically I use it on my skin I use mm-hmm. it if I have a headache uh, topically I use um, olive oil. Those are the only two. And I use less... You use olive oil on the skin? Um, um, no, not really. More ingested on salads and yeah, so forth. Um, I use herbs. So I, I use a lot of herbs. I am using, well, CBD. Mm-hmm. I use, um, is that for the pain primarily? Or what, do you, what is your primary? Yeah, that okay. would be um, just a general because I've been prone to anxiety so I'm working on my on my vagus nerves so that's mm-hmm. why I got CBD because moving out of fight flight it's not Las Vegas nerve it's the V-E-G-U-S yeah V-A-G-U-S isn't the that awesome the vagus nerve and yes, the, we're in the vagus, in vagus nerve yeah. the 10th cranial nerve um, and you, you believe that one's sort of tied to the anxiety and sort of that restlessness or... yeah when I saw it this is what happens to me so 
something turns me on to the vagus nerve. I did not know about the vagus nerve until mm -hmm. about a year ago. I went online, I looked for a picture, I found a drawing of it, and I thought, oh my God, it's gorgeous. I fell in love with the vagus nerve. And then I started reading. Mm -hmm. But first I fell in love with it. And then I learned, and I am learning, and so I'm practicing a breathing technique to get, to shift easily into the rest mode. To um, calm and soothe yeah, that nerve. Yeah, six breaths. That particular note. Yeah. Um, so the book is called, that book is called um, Activate Your Vagus Nerve. Mm. And these aren't, I'm going to look at what herbs I'm taking. I'm mm -hmm. taking um, rosemary. I love rosemary. It's such a good um, one. I'm really into herbs right now. Rose Different from Mary. rose hip, which more for the skin. The rosemary well, is... This is more for digestion. So I'm taking rosemary, bitters, and something else which I can't remember. Um, so I experiment. I mean, I have probably 12 bottles of herbs. Um, Do you get, you get most of your stuff from... Most of your vitamins and nutrients, though, from the actual food? And is that where you get most of your uh, vitamins and nutrients? Absolutely, yeah. from food. You're, do um, you eat salads? Do you do soups? What do you usually? Um, traditional Chinese medicine, I I I'm not a dabbler, but I don't go really deep into things. But I get into it enough to satisfy. So traditional Chinese medicine, which I love, um, and this may not even be accurate because I've already internalized it in a way. Mm -hmm. um, suggest soup. Lots of soup. So I start my breakfast, um, and I do, I fast between usually three and maybe five o'clock and nine in the mm. morning. Five o'clock at night, nine in the morning. Sometimes I can't do that. But, mm -hmm. um, That's like 16 hours, if my math yeah, is correct. 16 That's 16 hours. hours. Yeah. So you just have an eight-hour window where you eat. Usually. Yeah, and I eat. And you've been doing that for quite a, a while. A few years. Before they were talking about autophagy it, and, it and, and fasting and... Fasting, by the way, fasting has been around for, I mean, it's interesting how nowadays the, 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 the problem is that everybody is so desperate to sell a book right. and fasting is not, fasting is ancient. I mean, it's been around and it's been around probably before ancient and, and, and it's not new and it's sort of, really, it makes sense that that is the way we've been wired and designed to eat. I, I feel mean, just, better when yeah, I do it. It's an anthropological way that we're supposed right. to. Right. I uh, didn't, I wanted to feel better. I felt like crap a lot of my younger life. Mm -hmm. So feeling better has been a desire and an intention. And like if I don't like, when I moved to Las Vegas, I couldn't find a doctor I wanted to work with. I went through seven doctors. Um, yeah, you're not the only person that talks about that. And I that, had to say, this is that. what I do. I think for myself, you're not, I don't hold you responsible and um, I'm very alternative and um, blah, blah, blah. And um, are you willing to work with me? And, well, they would say yes. I didn't feel good about it, so then I moved. Anyway, um, so I make, so I would have something like sweet potato. Mm -hmm. Purple sweet potato is better, but sometimes I have white, I love sweet potatoes. And um, I'll cook it, and in the water that I'm cooking it in becomes the soup. And um, I might add, so that's what I eat first. 
Then the second time I eat, I add a bunch of kale, a really lot of kale. And then, so I usually eat two or three different foods at one time at the most, except for the salad. So at the end, my last meal is just this wonderful salad. And I'm using less oil right now. So I'm using lemon juice and um, maybe a touch of maple syrup or um, coconut aminos. Mm -hmm. Um, so I eat a lot of soupy kind of things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting, even in Chinese medicine with the spleen and everything, and they talk about a lot where they like the soups, right? And, you know, and we, we would think, I mean, it, it's interesting because even in the vegan community, you have raw veggies. It's assumed, right, by many that raw veggies are the healthiest thing you could put in you. But then you go into, say, Chinese medicine where they're right. so fond of soups and they would say, and, you know, a raw vegan might say, well, you're cooking out all the nutrients. And a lot, and a lot of scientists might say, well, you're cooking yeah. out all the nutrients. On the other hand, uh, you, you know, you'd think, well, what if the nutrients are being cooked into the soup? So where are they going? I mean, are they evaporating, right? They could be evaporating at, the, at certain temperature points. Then you have things like a tomato with the lycopene there where when you simmer it for 20 minutes, it actually by more than 10 or 20 fold concentrates that lycopene it makes it much more powerful much more bioavailable so it's just interesting the if you heat that up what happens what happens in the nutrient i mean you look at something like mushrooms where we are a lot of people smart people say hey cook your mushrooms for the first four or five minutes or so dr colwell estelson who you know is just one of the pioneers yeah. of sort of reversing heart disease he and dr dean ornish and Dr. Carl Eston's thing with the kale, he one part of his protocol for people who have severe atherosclerosis or, or, or cardiovascular um, diminishment, he recommends that they six times a day take kale and cook it, you know, basically boil it or whatever for four or five minutes. And then, as he likes to say, anoint it with balsamic vinaigrette. <laughs> that balsamic vinaigrette is a vasodilator. It, it, it's very, you know, it, it loves and kisses the endothelial function. It increases blood flow, nitric oxide, et cetera. But you're thinking, well, wait, kale is, you know, kale is just renowned for its superpowers, its nutritional superpowers, but you're cooking out the nutrients, right? That's a lot of people would well, say. I drink and yet I he swears it by it, right. That's, I mean, that would make sense to me. Yeah. Um, and there weren't all of these. All right. So you're saying, where's it going? I'm drink. I'm gonna drink. I'm gonna drink whatever wherever it's going. Right. Some of it may evaporate, but much of it is going to be because it's kind of like coffee. Coffee supposedly has policy has like literally. If you look, and this has just been in recent years. If you look, they do surveys, scientific surveys of what are the healthiest things that Americans take in every year on average, and it's pretty sad. In the top ten is coffee and beer of all because coffee beer has the yeast right yeast and barley huh. and coffee has like over a thousand antioxidants now of course you got to worry about all the pesticides in commercial I would, I would really be big time afraid of the pesticides and also there you know dr michael gregor has looked at the metadata on coffee he would say look caffeinated coffee is not very friendly to the endothelial function even though there are people who they do have less heart attacks and whatever, but it's saying at the end of the day, decaf is way healthier and way more friendly to endothelial uh, function and blood flow. But you look and you say, it's sadly, among the top 10 things Americans take in every day, it's beer and coffee. And now again, 
the beer is brewed and a lot of that is 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 you know to my understanding I don't make beer but I'm assuming I think some of that's heated right I mean I think they kind of heat the beer and then they cool the beer I don't know what they do with it but it goes through a process I do know with coffee they boil it it doesn't lose all of its nutrients whatever is good about it it doesn't right it's like kind of like a soup it's like wait it retains <laughs> a lot of the antioxidant vitality that it has decaf coffee still retain it's still like a you know it's it's not that molecularly different from cacao you know coffee isn't right. both fruits and you you could cook it you can make a hot cocoa does that mean all the cacao powers and all the antioxidants that are out no there's still plenty of them in there if you're <laughs> drinking a good cacao without all the sugar or whatever and you put a cinnamon and a nutmeg in there it's pa- it's it's really good for you <laughs> so it's interesting but soups but you get your raw vegan friends and say no it has to all be raw and who who really likes raw broccoli or raw cauliflower or things like that? Like if you're gonna take I those don't. in, yeah. Um, I and but I want to mention about kale. I don't like mushy food, mushy greens. Mm-hmm. Let me get the. There's more uh, parsley. So I. Thank you. Yeah, there's um. So. Discovering things for myself, experimenting and discovering. Mm-hmm. I didn't look up how to cook kale. Mm-hmm. I just knew to take it off of. Thank you. I knew to take it off of um, the stem. I knew that. Mm-hmm. And through experimenting, I found how long not to cook it. Um, I just barely put it in the boiling water and scoop it out. Mm-hmm. It it just changes color and it. It's almost raw, but it's not. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how I like it. I'm not going to eat it if, if it's otherwise. Right. So I what's can't the, what's the good thing about much. a raw veggie that you'll never eat versus a cooked one that you will and, and that you why, might enjoy? Why would I make myself eat something in a certain way because somebody said it was better for me and I hated it? Mm-hmm. I mean, it, none of that right. made sense. So. Right. Um, it's interesting the science now because it's gotten so specific and, and it's so helpful like understanding endothelial cells and um, liking what they look like. They're very interesting. And then if I have a question about my endothelial cells, mm-hmm. I will imagine a picture of them or one and Talk to it. I, you know, Joyce, it's interesting, and, and I recognize something in you the first time I saw you. I do. I believe in the same thing. I would say, first of all, far more important than nutrition to me is hydration. Far more important than hydration is this conversation we're having with ourselves, the monologue, the self-talk, the communication to the cells, the vibration to the cells is the most important thing. And a lot of people, whether they're in pain or whatever, literally you are the commander in chief of those cells, of those, as you mentioned, those that colony of cells, those trillions of cells, or whatever that live in you. You are the master and the commander of that. And sometimes it's not just talking to yourself; it's as you said, with an intention, talking to the specific area where the main problem is. You maybe talk to that specific region. You know, someone's got a digestive issue, and now that sounds like quackery to a lot of people, but. It is understanding that we're en- as you're, you're an energy here, we're energy beings, and it's saying you have this energy. If you and I went right now wanted to do, if you if we had a dumbbell here and we wanted to do a curl, we had a five pound dumbbell and we started doing curls with our arm biceps, 
Where's the main focus of that? Well, the main focus of that is in the bicep. I mean, the main area, the main energy, the main area being exercised at that point is there. If we did a squat, there are certain muscles, there the butt, the butt, the quads, the hamstrings, you know, your even your core to balance you. There are certain muscles that are the primary focus of that. And and so the same way when we talk about the energy and the conversation you're talking about, all you're doing is saying you're talking to a certain region and saying, well, for right now, I'm focusing on you in the same way you would do if you squat. If you do a push-up, you're activating and you're focusing on different muscles if you do. And so, but yet when we have this conversation, people, oh, that's just, that's just, most people say, that's just ludicrous. That's crazy. That's, That's know. okay with me that people think it's crazy. I, um... I know what I know, mm-hmm. and I wanted to mention something about, um, I know through experience what I know. I've discovered it for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to mention something about longevity. That is not a word I use. I don't mm-hmm. think in that way. Mm-hmm. What I do think is I want to live well until my last breath, mm-hmm. whenever that is. And I would like to live a very interesting long life. Mm-hmm. And. I know that these But things, how you name it is very important, it's important to, to your name. own right to your own relationship with it right. and I'm not setting intentions so that I can live a long time. Right. Um, because I it doesn't work into necessarily living well. Somebody could live to be 90 and be on all kinds of not the quality of life may right. not be. I want to live today yeah. because I had so much um, pain in the past, emotional and physical pain in the past. I know what feeling good feels like, mm-hmm. and I I want that as we're talking um, right now. I want that. So if my back starts hurting, I'll get up and do a couple of stretches while we're talking. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I built all of this stuff somehow in. When I worked full time, it was horrible to be able to cook vegan. To, I had to bring all my own food. Mm-hmm. The um, world was the world is. A little more set up to accommodate the healthy eater, but even those of us like me, I mean, that's why I basically live at Whole Foods. <laughs> the world is just not set up. You have to really go out of your way and bend over backwards and prepare and prep and really have to I bend do. over backwards to eat healthy. Even uh, even now, even, even though there's now, way more options. Yeah. And you're from L.A. where it's a lot better in L.A., but pretty much everywhere else. Well, actually, I'm from Seattle. Okay, so you're from um, Seattle, yeah. I was born in L.A., but yep. um, I spent 50 years in Seattle. Yeah. Which is why I'm here, because I had a sun deficit. Mm, and you realize the power of the oh, sunlight to sun. the hormones <laughs> and, and the happiness and, yeah. and the cells, even vitamin and mineral right. synthesis. And I do take vitamin D, and um, so I have a wonderful... Plant-based, plant-based vitamin D, maybe. Yes, vegan yes. vitamin D. Not, not, not the fake synthetic No, no, vitamin. no, no. Okay. no, no. Fake. My body does not do well with fake synthetics. It okay, good. And I can tell the difference. Yeah. So there are things that I've researched, and um, mm-hmm. I get my vitamins from Vita, VitaCost mm-hmm. because it's the best price, and um, they're good. Mm. Um, yeah, exercise. Now you do teach a you you uh, do little speaking engagements. Yeah. You have a little group that gathers with you and. Yeah. And I think it was called Embracing Aging. Embracing Aging. And so what sorts of things do you teach others on that topic? 
Well, it's, it's a discussion group, so there's less teaching as, as I do more of it. I mm -hmm. realize that I really want to be the facilitator for people to talk about and, and guide the conversation, so I usually have a topic. What comes up? Um, I decide the topic. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, acceptance. It's big. It comes up a lot. Um, what happens when someone hits 65? What, what, what do you see a lot of that happens? Someone hits 65, 70. Is there just, is there a lot of fear? Is there a lot yeah. of anger? What do you, what do you see a lot? Because we have in this, in America today, we have so many people. We have so many people now um, that are in their 60s and their 70s and even some in the 80s. And we're seeing even assisted, you know, a lot of assisted living, a lot of, you know, uh, kids that they're, they're all grown up now and now they're like, how am I going to care for my mom and how are I going to care for my dad? Yeah, this is a huge yeah. thing in now in America and it's, and it's because we have so many people that are, you know, of a retirement age or beyond. And so you're on the front lines of that. What, what do you see and how can we, what are you seeing in the trenches and how can we, how can we as a society, I guess, better minister and help people live better, longer. What what can we do? But what, what do you see on the front lines? What Care stands about out? each other. As my observation, so there's about 400 people who live here. Mm -hmm. My observation is a lot of people are so lonely, and that's not necessarily age related, but you see it. So people, everyone here is over 55, but there's a lot of people in their 60s, 70s, 80s, and a couple people in their 90s. Um, to listen to your heart like you came and talked to me I thought that was fabulous um, I go up and talk to people all the time people mm -hmm. do come up and talk to me um, in Seattle waiting for the bus um, have wonderful conversations with people I just talk to everybody mm -hmm. I care about people and I care that they be well and even if they're not I care that they be well and enjoy well-being it's not and you're an I, energy person so you you may put an energy on it they're not even realizing that right. you're you're putting what i would call a prayer or you're right. saying a prayer for them or you're trying exactly. to transfer some sort of good energy that may be with them for that's the rest right. of the day or something I and they don't realize they've just been in a way blessed in some right. way i that's it and yeah. i know that because there's a source and that's the namaste yeah. I see that in you, and I the know divine that's in, in me. you sees the divine, and, and vice and versa. And I know that that, and so I do a meditation every day, almost that expands that energy out of me and uh, around me and through me, and and I take that with me, so that I know that I am blessing or loving or whatever word you want to put on it. Everyone, every dog, every cat, every blade of grass, every tree. Um, sometimes I say something like, if I see firefighters, I'll go up and they come here a lot. We have a lot of uh, emergencies here. And um, if I see them in Smith's, I'll just go up and say, thank you for your service. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in a hands in prayer position, just I need to acknowledge it. Um, I think to touch each other, to really to look in each other's hearts. It's not safe in some places, so in some places you don't do that. You have to use your discernment. But um, so no, we gave I, we gave a little a little small hug when we saw each other. You know, this yeah. is the second time we saw each other. Yeah. Before we did this shot, this interview. I mean, yeah. 
in some places, you know, or someone you might not feel comfortable giving like a little. Yeah. But we've hug. already connected. At, yeah, and I know your son. I know level. your son pretty well. And you know my son, which is yeah. really amazing to me. Um, and he's he's such a great conversationalist. He? Yeah. Yeah. Um, th- this is the so. What's interesting though is how do so many of our seniors and retirement aged and, and beyond how do they wind up alone because we come and it's so interesting in our lives there are periods where especially even women you see some popular women and they always have 10 other women around them and like how does it go that that decade by decade people wind up and i can understand where a spouse dies but then they they might have kids and they have friends is it just that like how do they end up where there's just not many around them because we go through life and we know hundred people or 200 people or we're at church and there's all these people sometimes around us and we're like, can we be alone? And then you wind up older and then it's like maybe their spouse dies and their kids don't come to see them. And for whatever reason in church, there's not as much social, whatever, or they don't go or whatever. There, there are other friends died and like, how do they just wind up alone? Because it's like, it's, it reminds me of like homeless people. It's like, I see homeless people and I always think, I understand how people could be homeless. But the thing I always wonder is like, how can it be that there's not one person like that they've just sort of maybe burned every bridge or that every every relative is like you can't stay with me i understand the drug thing or someone yeah. going i understand that but 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 still for, that doesn't explain every homeless person like some of them it's like somebody out there loved them or loved them and and but maybe every every bridge has been burned or it's been burned in their mind to where they're alone it's like nobody will step up to help them because maybe they don't feel safe around them because maybe they feel like it's a lost cause because maybe they're afraid if they have them live with them. It's like, it's it's such a sad thing because it's 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 a lonely thing when someone gets to the end of the rope where nobody will say, hey, you can stay on my couch for a month or two. Well, we're all in this community of humanity and when we see that and we see people being mean to each other or horrible or whatever that is, we feel it whether we can do anything about it or not. But what I wanted to say was, I always have to bring it back to me. So. My son does a beautiful thing. Um, so he drives the same way, sees the same homeless guy with the same... Um, I'd like to think he learned this from me, but perhaps not. Um, he always puts his window down. It's not that he gives him money. He does give him some money. Mm-hmm. But he does some. He has some way of connecting with that person. So when I see... He does this regularly with a certain homeless person that he sees a lot. A lot of homeless people. A lot, yeah. Um, when I see people, whether they're street people or mentally ill, I have a, some kind of radar for mental illness, mm-hmm. I always acknowledge, and it might just be nodding of my head or putting my hands in prayer position, but there's something that happens. Then you think that that's important because... It's important to me. Yeah. Um, you want to acknowledge the humanness of them. You the want namaste, to... Yeah. And I know when it's received. I can see it. The guy, and you, um, you know it's important to them to just to, to still be... To their be, humanity. Yeah. Um, and so you look yeah. at them with a dignity and with a respect. And I just said because namaste, the I divine in that. me sees the divine in you. Right. I, I feel very fortunate. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that's a gift or if it's something that's a result of, you know, decades of meditation. I don't know how to understand those things, but I always bring it back to me. So... Um, there's very there's a lot of lonely people, and sometimes just that acknowledgement or a smile 
there's people that I don't want to be around or who are scary, so mm -hmm. I just don't be around mm -hmm. scary people. Um, there's people who are smelly um, or crazy. Mm -hmm. um, I do pretty well with crazy. Um, but to just say good day, I, it's one of my jobs in life, mm -hmm. is to say good day to people. And You were telling me earlier, by the way, about... Uh, you know, because you have a book here, and it says, um, <laughs> the book, uh, I just picked it up, it says, Life's Journey, um, uh, According to Mr. Rogers, that being Fred Rogers, Things to Remember Along the Way, and of course, there's a book out now, I mean, there's a movie out now, I think Tom Hanks is playing Mr. Rogers, yeah. and Tom Hanks, of course, started his marquee role. It always amazes me that he, he started off playing a woman on Bosom Buddies. Remember that he started That's playing right. a woman, oh and it's amazing to see the evolution of Tom Hanks from playing a woman. You could start off as a woman, it's like, and then that was a hit, and then he's come all this way, and now he's everything he touches, he's got the Midas touch. But you've always been, even before the movie and whatever, you've always been a big... And when I hear you talk about this, I sort of can see your inner Fred Rogers, I guess. <laughs> Yes, I, um, I'm going to get some water. Yeah. Um, hang on just one second. Mm -hmm. Joyce is just grabbing is some water. Twice filtered. Sure. Awesome. Um, Even better. Better than once filtered. Thank you. I'm glad to see your super conscious hydration. I think hydration, <laughs> I think hydration is more important than nutrition. Um, I think as long as someone has that mindset and that vibration, because I always say happy's harder to kill, and you know because of that vibration, <laughs> what does that mean? happy's harder to kill. Meaning, like you, you know, you could have someone that's eating even GMO, but if they're happy, their cellular, oh, their cellular vitality and vibrance, good. and so that vibration, it's the resilience of the cell, right? When someone has that sort of that love force or light force or yes. happiness, oh, that's so good. The, 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 and so I say happy is harder to kill. Meaning. A lot of things, you could be exposed to a lot of things and heavy metals and toxins and so forth. And usually if they're at lower levels, in my theory, because again, a lot of this, what Joyce and I are talking about, we're, we're telling you things that we, we're, I always say it's not always about the results because the results are always to be continued, even in scientific studies. A lot of things are, even when they're promising, they're to be continued. They haven't been, it's not you know, a hook, line, sinker, okay, the science has right. been settled. It's usually the to be continued with science, right? It's like, well, we need to do further, whatever. And so in the meantime, we all have to have some principle or theory, some guiding principles or theories to opt to, to, to wrap ourselves around, to try to get it right while science continues to try to get it right. And so in the meantime, um, what I always think, you know, Joyce and I talk about intuition and our experience and what feels right to you. There's a lot of that, but, but, what I look for, and this is what I love about Joyce, is I look for intention. So I know that going back to, as she said, mentioned the Summer of Love and that book that you came across, uh -huh. that going back to that, that there's been an intention to say, I can do better, I can do better for the planet, I can eat better, I don't need all this sugar, I don't need this. And I think the intention sometimes, even when people aren't always, hey, we haven't figured it out, we're still experimenting. We're all still trying to figure out what works the best for us, for our particular organism, for us at this particular journey and point in our life. But the intention that's there, when the intention is pure, when it's good, when it's when it's committed, that's a beautiful thing. And I and I do see that in you. But talk about a little bit going. I'm, I'm digressing, but the Fred Rogers impact because you've got a lot of 
I can see there's a lot of Fred Rogers in you, and you talk about Zach and, and those encounters with homeless people too. Why why does why is that such an why do you think that that's so important to you to sort of express that and be that to other people? Why is that a, why does that feel so good to you? And because I mean, the world does need more of it. It there's a consciousness. I think it's my being, nature. Yeah. I know I was frozen a lot in my earlier life because I saw many harsh things and I knew that wasn't the way I wanted to be but I you know early childhood but uh, sacred plants helped to introduce me to um, a different feeling about life and about what was going on with me I, I could not be mean to people I just couldn't so mm. There seemed to be a vacancy. How do you be? And so after sacred medicine... Uh, Mushrooms, psychedelics, things like that. No, I didn't do psychedelics. Okay. I knew because I had... Because um, there's a lot of people now coming, you know, sort of gradually. You're seeing so cannabis, different. CBD. People are trying to say... They have ayahuasca ceremonies. People are doing, yeah. you know, psychedelic mushrooms. Not my thing. Uh, you know, I've got friends that are... That are uh, super into that not my you know not my thing not the organic tank way but so i have mental illness in my family i have mm-hmm. a cousin and, and a niece who are severely mentally ill and i knew even though i'd been meditating i knew not to do anything psychedelic mm-hmm. i just i just knew not to mm. i couldn't tell you why i just knew not to so i never did but um when marijuana came in i was the first on my block mm-hmm. and then we didn't have to drink anymore I mean, think about this. I grew up in the 40s and the 50s, mm-hmm. and there was no option. And then I didn't have to smoke cigarettes anymore. You mm-hmm. just didn't have to. There was, so that's, yeah, that's a really interesting part of it. Um, but I discovered that there's other ways to be. Then I learned breathing. And, oh my God, that, that was fabulous. But why... It's because I have to. I have mm-hmm. to be like this. Um, I had to. I just knew. I think I just knew that to be loving and to be loved and and to be love. Mm-hmm. Um, when you think, by the way, you made me think of one thing, and because I always think that, I always say the sort of like people ask me, what what's your you know, someone might say, what's your greatest achievement? And I hear other, some of my friends say, well, my kids are my greatest achievement. And I'm thinking, well, I don't like that answer. Some of my really successful friends, they're, they're CEOs and they're worth, you know, uh, tens of millions of dollars. And they'll say, well, it's my kids. And I'm thinking, okay, even if that's true, like basically and so a lot of times their kids are four or five years old or something like, dude, your kid's not even, your kid's not even old enough for us to tell if you did a great job with them. So we can't say that that's an achievement because your kid's not, when your if your kid's 25 and your kid's this incredible human being and then maybe we can say that's your greatest achievement, right? You, 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 you played a role. Yeah. So, so I don't buy that one. So I, I personally think I'm like, well, you know, and I think that I look at this for other people too, but I think, man, going through a lot of the things that I've seen in life, the hardships and the challenges and, uh, you know, things where times where I was at zero or, or rock bottom or whatever, and, and making it through that with my smile and my sanity intact. I always think if you can make it, that's what always amazed me about people that might have more years in this dimension than me, when I can see the light in their eyes 
or that they're that they're happy, that they're of goodwill, that they're of good cheer, that they smile easily, and you're thinking, I'm thinking, they've seen a lot. Those eyes have seen a lot. How do they still smile? How are they still light? How are they still of good cheer? Because life, they've seen, they, by the time you get to be 70, 80, my God, you've seen so much. So much people have, people have died on them. Yeah. People have said mean things. You know, society's made you scared. So much has happened. How, does, how can someone still have their sanity and their smile intact? And, you, you know, you fit that. It's like, how do you yeah. make it? How do you make it there? And, 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 I deal um, with it. I deal yeah. with the fear. I deal with it. You face it. I no face it, it, but I meditate. Yeah. And I don't... Is that the first thing you do each day? It might be the second thing. Okay. <laughs> but sometimes in the first half hour. And in the first half hour of being awake. And then I'll do you have a ritual before you go to bed? Do you have a, is that an important part? Because yes, you're going to dream. You're going to dream, and so you're going to... No, you do, not for dreams. Okay. Just you don't, you don't try attention. to control what the dream would be in any way. Well, with, with Control doesn't work for me. Okay. I'm not good at it. So letting go is more. But what I, I like to do is set an intention for when I wake up. Mm-hmm. That I wake up with a clear mind and a healthy, happy body. And appreciation for the opportunities of the day. And then I write my intentions. So I do, do mm. intentions in segments depending on what's next. Why is it important to write it? I think the kinesthetic part of it is important to me, to the way I function. So that I don't have to try to hold on to it in my memory. Mm-hmm. Um, but it gets in there somehow. I don't know. I could probably say it out loud. Um, but I make a choice, um, and it took many years of making the same choice. I'm not going to live in fear. I can't. It's horrible. It's a horrible way to live, and I've lived in a lot of fear, mm-hmm. fear and anxiety. So I know, no, um, I, I have to stop. Sometimes I have to stop everything and turn my phone off, turn everything off, and... Uh, meditate for three days if it's really intense Mm -hmm. and what i want is to be able to face life as it unfolds itself and to be conscious and at the end same thing as it unfolds itself i mean i have desires of how i'd like it to be but um i've heard some and i've always been particularly i had these neighbors a few years back Joe and Josephine, who died, they were like 95, and they lived next to me in Summerlin, up in, uh, up, up there in Pebble, uh, what was it, Pebble something, and they were just a great couple, they had all their faculties, they were from New York, and, you know, these are the best years of our life, and I have seen uh, people in more advanced seasons of their life that we're saying these are the best years. It is this for you. I mean, because you're into living in the present too. Yeah. And so someone, you could make an argument while someone's really living in the present, saying, well, you know, this is the best years of your life. Whatever years you're, wherever you are at that moment is the best years of your life. Are you there too, would you say? Because I'll be saying, oh, 77. I, I know so many people. I mean, I was just talking to a buddy last night. He's going through a lot of stuff. His business, you know, he's an entrepreneur. He's... His business is, you know, a, a lot of money's on the line, you know, almost a million dollars. And it's like, he is just, you know, it's like, he's like, I don't live to be 75. You know, he he's a believer. He believes in life after this, that we're eternal and, you know, believes in God. And he's like, I'm just ready for the next thing, whatever. And, and I said, well, if you ever need anything, give me a call. Don't, you know, I'm, I'm worried about him. But, yeah. but he's not like, he's like, I don't want to, you know, him and other people, I don't want to 
like 75 or 80. Come on, Frank. No, it's time to... Do you feel like, no, these are the are these the best years of your life? And if so, why? I feel so fortunate right now. I mean, today, this minute, talking with you is such an interesting conversation. I love talking like this. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I don't think like that. I think to have the best moments. Um, this is delightful and interesting and satisfying talking to you, being here with you, actually. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and I feel extremely fortunate that something happened that even if I came into this life with the desire to be awake and conscious, all the crap from my childhood and blah, 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 and, um, having heavy metal toxicity and what that opened for me. And I've had wonderful mentors. I have wonderful mentors now. I have two mentors. Mm-hmm. And um, you didn't see on the back of my card, but it says mentoring. That's probably mm-hmm. what I love is to support the... Distance healing and mentoring. Yeah. Um, I think the next card will say mentoring on the front. But mm-hmm. um, because it's in you, it's in everybody. And if a person is open, mm-hmm. then we can have a different kind of conversation. Um, this is so much better than anything that came before. I'm not in pain. Any any pain I have, like I, I can stretch. Mm-hmm. Um, I can, I also do um, sh- something called shibashi. Mm-hmm. And um, I help my body. Um, or I can go to bed because I have the freedom to do that. I can cancel things if, mm-hmm. if I'm having some kind of physical challenge. Um, if I have negative thoughts, I have to stop. I just stop it. Um, why do you think that more people I'm being presumptuous in asking the question the way I'm going to ask it but it seems to me that a lot of young people don't pick the brains of older people I mean regularly I mean maybe if it's grandma or grandpa but if it's not their relatives like eh they don't know. I mean, why is it, it, it's almost assumed right now because of technology, it feels like it's assumed that 22-year-olds and 32-year-olds who are voting with their, you know, through their digital devices and with likes and on Instagram, it's just assumed they're the wisest people in the world today. I mean, it seems like to me almost like they're the wisest, they're, they outnumber everybody, and so therefore they're the wisest. Why Why are, don't, I mean, I'm being presumptuous here, but why don't we lean more on older people for their wisdom? Like, I mean, in terms of public life, I mean, in terms of not just like grandma and grandpa, I understand that, but beyond that, strangers, this person has been around 40 years, they probably know a lot about this, and it's like, no, a 30-year-old probably knows. (laughs) The 30-year-olds are the experts on everything now, the 25-year-olds are the experts on everything, and like, it just it seems like that to me that there's not the reverence overall as a society like do you sense that and 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 what is it valid i mean or did, 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 did the people who are more advanced just screw everything up to where it's like eh, nah, the 25 year olds will figure it out they're all they're the smartest ones they'll they'll figure it out they have computer devices and they have likes and and they, they outnumber everybody, so they'll figure it. They're, they're the smartest people in the room now. I mean, is it? Did you guys just ruin your credibility, your generation? Because, like, hey, you ruined your credibility because you ran the world in the ground, and so no credibility. Your wisdom's out the door, too. The 25 year olds will figure it out. I mean, what? How do you make sense yeah, of it? That's really good questions. Yeah. Um, 
Well, I created a ceremony for myself to call myself an elder, mm-hmm. which is a way of taking responsibility for my years mm-hmm. and my wisdom and honoring that. And I love sharing it. Mm-hmm. And Mentoring. Also, pe- thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Yeah. Um, people have to... Well, let me think for a second. I'm not saying you guys know everything. I'm just saying... It just seems like no one's like, oh, people go and they see see seniors now and they think, oh, let's just go and sing a song and entertain them and be nice to them. And it's like a charity as opposed so to, as opposed to the, the, you know, or, or they feel good because they do it as opposed to, hey, there is a lot of wisdom in this room. Yeah. Let's pick their brains. Not, let's not just entertain them. Like, let's actually pick their brains. They might yeah. be a lot smarter than us in a lot of things. Well, we have experience and wisdom as a result of experience is powerful stuff um i I don't exactly know the answer but i love intergenerational involvement Um, i have an idea that to call the local um elementary school and see if we can do an exchange and have Mm. kids come here and talk to us Mm. um and talk to the kids yeah um that's kids i don't know where where I would go to talk to 20-somethings. Mm-hmm. I'm very interested in what they're thinking about. Yeah. Um, and I find it offensive that so many people say bad things about them because they have devices. And, mm-hmm. um, and I don't have that kind of global bra- blame. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so many people who've messed up for so long, and that's about to change. I mean, just intuitively and energetically, I'm mm-hmm. aware of, you do um, see a shift now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, soon. Mm-hmm. Um, in, my, in my lifetime, um, if you could see a shift in the 60s, we had to hold on to this 